This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a former Survivor Story guest, Sharon, about the importance of recognizing our own programming, survival mechanisms, self-discovery, rumination, trust, and healing from narcissistic abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have the return of Sharon. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Brandon? I am doing well. And if you want to be a guest like Sharon is today and was on our April 24th, 2023 episode titled Sharon and a Life Full of Trauma. Please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And today we are here with Sharon. And if you want to go back and listen to her episode. I will put it in the show notes. It's from April 24th, 2023. And Sharon had a lifetime full of trauma, not just childhood trauma that was going on, but relationship trauma as well. She was in uh, a couple of abusive relationships and we're going to be going over these things a little tiny bit, but this episode is going to be a lot about the self-discovery in the aftermath of being in these relationships and from what happened inside of her after listening to her episode, her story as well. So just a really big thank you to Sharon for being here. And I'm going to get out of my way in your way. Sharon, the floor is now yours. Thank you, Brandon. And thanks everyone. Uh, again, um, I always listen to your stories and I feel like we all have a special bond and it's uh, really means a lot to me. Um, so when I had my episode, I was still going through some pretty serious therapy uh, with a trauma therapist. And because my story was unique in a sense of it really started from um, pretty serious childhood abuse, sexual abuse. Um, and, and how that shaped all of my relationships, where I ended up in a narcissistic marriage of 18 years. Um, I spoke about my son who has narcissistic personality disorder and the trauma that I experienced with him. And then I discussed my last relationship that I was in for five years, which I consider my most severe narcissistic abuse um, that I experienced. So there was a lot to cover in that episode, and it was, I think, very beneficial to me to to talk about that, get it all out. Um, but over the past few months, as I listened to other 
uh, podcasts, other shows here, uh, other people's stories, I started thinking, you know, that we we tell our stories of abuse. Um, we might hit a little bit on the the recovery or how we're doing now, but but we really focus a lot on the abuser and the abuse, and we don't really spend time here analyzing what our role was. And um, and I want to just caution because I know that could sound very offensive, and I don't mean in any way that we ever ever deserved what happened to us, but we all do have a role in why we stayed, why we chose these partners, why we stayed, um, you know, how we responded. We all have a reason why we respond the way we did. And um, that's something that I thought, you know what, I, I feel like, I feel like we should talk about that. We should talk about that to maybe help us understand how not to get ourselves in these positions again, as we move forward in life. So when it comes to the show and me starting this show and understanding more about abuse as time goes on and how to create better stories and have better storytelling from everyone who's been on the show, one of the things that was important to me was the self-discovery aspect of, of things and to not just paint a picture about the person that the story is about, but also really paint a picture about the person who is telling the story and whether they're admirable traits or you come from trauma and sometimes those admirable traits do come from a trauma of some sort down the generation intergenerational trauma line but you are a person who's made up of all these things and you have a, a specific type of program and your program runs you and for a big part of your life that programming is helping you survive. And these are your survival mechanisms. And eventually, at a certain point, those survival mechanisms can then get in the way in, in when you're trying to get into newer relationships. And they're not helpful in a lot of ways. But also during the process of, you know, getting into these relationships as a whole, you know, an abuser is looking at this programming of yours and consciously or unconsciously is trying to play into that programming so you'll start to play a game with them. You don't know that you're in a game. They're playing a game, but they're going to try and really manipulate the programming that has been created and in the aftermath of everything, I think is what you're going to be talking about today is, you know, how do we go about changing some of that programming that has been put in us from our intergenerational trauma that's being passed down to us? And how do we fix these things so they don't happen again in the sense of, you know, I'm not going to fawn over this situation or I'm not going to freeze in this situation. I'm not going to placate this person. You know, how do we kind of cut things off right at the beginning and give ourselves a better chance of not getting into abusive situations as a whole? Uh, would you say that's fair of kind of the grand scheme of things of what you're going to be talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's... <laughs> It's when you're on the other side, it seems so easy, but 
like you say, the, the programming and the survival, I mean, the, the things that we learned in order to survive and end up hurting us later on in our life. I mean, they're, they're ingrained in us. And I don't know, I, I guess everybody is different for what it takes for that to just click. You know, you hear about, you hear about people having a breakthrough and I mean, I'm, I'm 56 years old. I've been to therapy for one reason or another throughout my life since I was in my early twenties and told my story numerous times. Um, and never had what I thought was, I, I kept waiting for the breakthrough. When's the breakthrough going to happen? What, what is the breakthrough? How many times can I tell my story and, and nothing's changing? And nothing ever changed in me um, until this most recent episode. And I think episode meaning, you know, my, my most recent experience and breakup. Um, now, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's so much awesome information like your podcast to educate people on narcissistic abuse. Because back then, not only did we not have this, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have social media, we didn't have we were kind of suffering in our own silence because um, aside from like maybe Al-Anon, some 12-step programs, uh, there really wasn't a lot out there to make us feel like we weren't alone. So we we hid in shame for so long, not understanding what was going on and, and just trying to get by. Um, but, it, you know, Another thing you said too that that is so so important and and I was <laughs> this was a big mistake I made and 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 if I say mistake I'm not I'm not blaming myself I I don't blame myself for anything I did um I I could see that things were wrong that I shouldn't have done some things but I don't blame myself what I did I did based on my experience and um just trying to do the best because I can honestly say no matter what I did, my ultimate goal was always just to to live a good life, to just have an honest relationship and and just understand the truth. I think that's that is what one of the most important things. Um, and something I repeated a lot in my relationship was that I always said that that people who who lie are thieves because they steal a person's sanity. And we throw people in jail for stealing material things that really don't matter, but people can steal another person's sanity throughout their whole life and nothing happens to them. And it's such, it's such a hurtful, harmful thing. And, you know, when I, when I started my last relationship, I, uh, one of the mistakes that I, that I feel I made was I, I gave him all my information up front. Um, I told him my whole story and it's funny because I, I've lived my life telling my story, telling my story. And <laughs> there's a song by Sean Colvin. I, I think it's called the story. And she, she says, she, I, I will always be telling my story. I'll always be telling my story. And, and I think that I did that because I was, I felt broken. Um, I felt like damaged. And I needed people to understand who I was. And that's how I identified myself as who I was. Um, yeah, I had other qualities, but this, this is who I identified myself with in my core. Um, so by doing that with the narcissist, the type of 
overt narcissist that I was in a relationship with last, I mean, he stored all of that information to use against me in the most brutal way. Um, so, you know, that's something that I, <laughs> hopefully I've learned from. So if this is a big question, and I don't think I've ever asked anyone this question. You know, you said that you wouldn't give the abuser or anyone as much information about you and your past, you know, when the relationship was starting. Eventually, trust has to be built for you with someone. How do you, or in your mind, and I don't know if you've thought about this, how, like, how do you dispense that information without putting yourself in, in your mind harm's way? Well, um, I'm actually in a new relationship now that, that is healthy. And I, I think the difference in the past, I felt like I had to put all this out on the table. This has damaged me. This is how I presented myself. And now I feel like you you have to earn that right to understand that vulnerable part of 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 little Sharon. Um and I'm it's not something I need to put out there. It can it can come up if if something comes up that's that warrants that conversation, but it's not who I am now. And it's not something that has to be present 24-7. Um I I mean I what a relief. I mean, the peace that I feel right now in my life that <laughs> that it's not 24-7 anymore. Um, that I can I I I really feel like I've been reborn. Um not to say that I don't have bad days or whatever, but it's not it doesn't consume me. I am not this pain. I am much more than just this pain. You said little Sharon there. Yeah. So if little Sharon comes out and wants to talk, what do you say to little Sharon? So little, like, do you, do you comfort little Sharon? Do you say, hey, little Sharon, you know, not right now. Little Sharon doesn't need to be seen by someone right now. Big Sharon is here and big Sharon can take care of things and big Sharon doesn't need to be seen. Big Sharon doesn't need to be comforted or big Sharon doesn't need to be reassured right now. Big Sharon is just trying to establish trust. And then maybe one day, you know, whoever I'm dating can meet little Sharon, but big Sharon has to do their job first. Oh yeah. I've, I've had, I've had conversations on both ends of that. I've had conversations on, all right, little Sharon, let's, what is it? I, I see you're hurting. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let's deal with it. I'm not going to ignore you. I'm going to hear you. I want to make sure she's heard. Um, but yeah, there's also been times where that voice has come up and I've, I've said, it's going to be okay. This is not what you think and it's going to be okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it really is like dealing with, um, either you know an abused child or an abused dog or or an animal if you rescue animals and and you have to come from a place of compassion but also help help them to move forward 
and that's how I look. That's how I look at her. But the main thing is to be heard. Um, one of the biggest struggles that I have, I'm sure most people can relate, is learning to just sit in the pain. Um, that is, I've never really, I've, I've never been a big drinker. I uh, don't do drugs. I guess the the one thing I ever really did to numb any kind of pain would be to maybe overeat. Um, I don't do that a lot. I try not to do that. So I don't really have like a, a vice that I use to numb pain. Um, the one thing I did in the past was use my relationships. Um, and, and that, that constant chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing, uh, which was creating the pain, but it was also my way of, of dealing with it because to sit there and feel the pain, <laughs> I mean, that's like, it's like torture. And when I first started studying this narcissistic abuse and learning about the brain and how it really is no different than, than withdrawing from drugs, that really helps to put it in perspective because that is so true. I mean, what you go through, that withdrawal, especially when you first leave the relationship and you're going through that trauma bond and you, you're just, you're struggling so much um, that the physical reaction that you have is so intense. I mean, you're dealing with the mental reaction, you're dealing with the physical reaction and to, to just learn how to let it happen and feel it and and analyze it um and i guess people can do this different ways i i wrote like crazy i mean i journaled like crazy uh that helps me through that helped me to put it in perspective um sometimes i mean my therapist <laughs> had me reconnect i used to dance when i was younger she had me try putting on music and dancing because i stopped dancing a long time ago um, just moving to the music. And that was, that was a nice connection again with, with little Sharon, uh, that love that I had, that passion that I had, that I had let go. Um, there's been nights where I've literally gone out on my, on my patio, uh, when it was warmer, laid down and just looked up at the stars and just focused on my breath because I felt so incredibly uncomfortable in my body. And I just did not know what to do. Um, it's intense and uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a process. We all, I guess we all go through it differently, but, um, but anyway, so, so going back to kind of understanding from the beginning, what was going on with me and ignoring those red flags. Um, one thing I, as I was thinking about what I was going to say today, one thing I kept coming back to, um, well, I have, I've, I've always had this favorite quote. And it's from um, Shakespeare. It, it's above all else to thine own self be true. And that's from Hamlet. And I've always loved that quote, to thine own self be true. But yet I never was. And I thought how ironic that that's one of my favorite quotes, yet I never was. Um, I just, you know, I had a lifetime of, of being scared being obsessive, being needy, never being honest in my relationships. I was always, always waiting and, and looking for proof 
that things were not as they seemed because of the abuse that I went through as a kid. Um, it was so confusing and there there was so much weird stuff going on that didn't make sense. So, so much cognitive dissonance that that created in me. Um, I would put so much energy into these obsessive thoughts that I would go from being obsessed to my partner to being indifferent to my partner because once I realized they were safe, I lost interest. And the interesting thing about my last partner was he never allowed me to feel safe. So that never happened. And I think that's what kept me going for so long because he kept tapping into the the fear. I never felt safe with him. Everything was driven by fear. And the other thing that I I, I know we all do um, is hiding in shame and not discussing what's really happening with our friends or our loved ones um because we we know we we know the truth i mean we really always know the truth we know what's wrong even if we're confused we know it's not right that what's happening isn't right but we still we still talk to ourselves and tell ourselves untruths um and another interesting thing i kept coming back to as i was kind of writing out notes for this is it was always like I was on the outside watching myself. Um, I think one of one of the best God-given gifts that we have is instincts. And that is always there. It, it, it can't be denied. It's always there. It's what we do with them that matters. And being on the outside, looking in, that, that feeling throughout my whole like last relationship, was kind of almost like split personalities because there was me sitting there knowing all along this is wrong and then somehow fighting for the truth by doing things like stealing passwords spying on him to see if if what he was saying was true so I could find out the truth because I was being gaslit so incredibly bad and I was losing my mind um so things like that knowing if you're at this point, the relationship isn't worth being in. But, but of course, you know, <laughs> if we could all just walk away at that point, you wouldn't have a podcast. So, um, you know, it's easy to say that now. It's something that, um, another thing that I think is dangerous when, when we come from a history of abuse or neglect or whatever, I think I know for myself that we we inherently feel like something is wrong with us, that we're different from everybody else. And I know in my experience with my abusers that there was a bonding that happened over that because they also either claimed to have come from abuse or were mistreated in some way or something bad happened to them. And they were they presented themselves as being different or special. And that's how we bonded because, because of our experiences, we were different than everybody else. And that really creates isolation. In the beginning, it makes us feel understood. But in reality, it's isolating us because when all the bad stuff is happening in our little circle there, we're looking at the rest of the world and thinking they just don't get us. They don't get me. 
they're not going to get me. And we just continue to hide in shame. It's a very good point. You know, the old trick here is, you know, no one understands me like you understand me. I understand you like no one has ever understood you. You know, it's then becomes an us versus the world mentality in a lot of the ways. And at that point, you're completely separated from everyone. And we talk about being the truth teller a lot on on the show. And all of a sudden, the only person you're going to listen to in most instances, or you think that their word is, you know, the word of the gospel is the person who is abusing you because all of a sudden they're the only person that understands you and has ever understood you. And at the beginning, they're showing you that, which puts you in this really big, deeper hole and isolating you and disconnecting you from, from everybody else. You know, and then, and then, then you're getting this, when things start going wrong, then you're getting this cognitive dissonance where you say you're similar. They say they understand you. They say they get you. But then when you have a need, all of a sudden they're not there. And so it's, it's, you know, it makes you feel damaged even more because we're, why, why are they not understanding? You know, they say they get me, they, you know, so it's just another mind fuck. (laughs) Um, Something else too, that I was thinking about a positive that becomes a negative is it seems that a lot of narcissists go for overachievers and people that really try so hard to make things work. And I know that was true for myself and that was a trap that I fell into. So being that that's a positive quality that I have um, in other areas of my life, it didn't, it was to my detriment in this relationship because I would not give up. I just had to get him to understand what he was doing wrong. You know, and that's, again, that's, that's, a fault of, of that I had that, that was a part that I played in this relationship going on for five years when it should have ended the very first day I spoke to him when the red flags were flying all over the world. Um, An admirable trait in, in, in life is someone who works hard and we see it in that way, but in, in, in abuse and being in an abusive relationship and, you know, kind of putting your worth a lot of the time into someone else's hands, that admirable trait would then work against you in every single way. Yeah. Yeah. And they, oh, they use it. They play it. <laughs> no. And um, like trying to talk about, uh, again, when, when it should have been apparent that it should have ended, but instead I'm trying and I'm trying and trying to talk about what, what is a healthy relationship? Um, I never really, and I, I, I say, thank God I didn't, I never got to the point where I even went to therapy with him because I learned from my, my, um, marriage in that situation, how therapy can be totally used against you. And that could be a freaking nightmare, um, when you go as a couple, but didn't go that route with this last one, but I still was trying so hard to talk about what's a healthy relationship. I mean, this man was in his mid-60s. If he doesn't know what a healthy relationship is at this point, why am I trying to teach him? You know, I, I would talk about morality and, and 
and not cheating and, and how we shouldn't do these things and and the difference between intimacy in a relationship and just having sex in a relationship and and trying to have these conversations which in turn would turn around to being shamed because oh you think you're on some kind of higher moral grounds than me and then I would be you know, be on the defensive. Oh, no, no, that's not what I mean. I, I don't think that at all. I'm just trying to get you to understand. And it's just, it would just then make me try even harder to get through to him. You know, it was just this constant merry-go-round of insanity. Um, and, and so another, another aspect of how I, I was thinking about this was the, the physical reactions, which I was talking a little bit about earlier. Um, when you can step back, when you're finally out of it and you can step back and really analyze what's happening um, physically. And when I was talking about it being like withdrawing from drugs, um, even when you're in the, in the relationship, like I remember the, the first time I found out he was lying and he was talking to other women uh, and I, I found the conversation, he was still on dating sites and um when I when I think back on how my body responded to that, and, and it's clearly it's clearly a reaction of of post traumatic stress disorder. It's like the body shakes. I mean, my body would was just started shaking uncontrollably. My rapid heartbeat, um, shallow breath, not being able to take a deep breath, and just feeling like I had to make this go away. I had to make this feeling go away. And that is um, something now that I'm out of it, I can look back and, and see that as, as merely a chemical response brought on by trauma. And I hope <laughs> moving forward in my life that if, if I'm ever in a position where that's triggered, that I can just look at it as a physical response and not feel like I'm going to die. Because back then I felt like I was going to die and I had to make it, I had to make it stop. Whatever I had to do, whether it was complete or first, first arguing and then realizing that arguing was only making it worse and then pleading and begging, you know, anything to make it stop. Um, so that's just <laughs> another thing when I think back on how my responses prolonged this, this hell that I stayed in. Um, I hated him. I really, really hated him, but I was still staying because I had to prove something. I either had to get him to change or I had to prove the lies that he was telling. And that would, that's where like the stealing of the passwords came in and, and watching his conversations because I would watch them in real time and I would watch him delete the incriminating lines. He would keep some of them so I could see, oh yeah, I'm, I'm talking, you know, we're just talking business or whatever. So he would keep part of the conversations, but delete the, you know, references to sex or whatever. So I knew this. I had seen them. I had seen the texts, but I stayed because I had to have proof. I had to get the screenshot. He deleted them so quickly that I had to have a screenshot or something that I could bring to him and say, aha, there you are. 
You've been lying all these years. I finally caught you. Here it is. Not to say I hadn't caught him numerous times before, but this is what finally came up at the end where I finally left. And I thought, wow, of all the times I had already gone through this with him, I still was putting myself through this hell just to find that, just to get that screenshot that I could present to him. And and the truth is, when I did finally get that, he looked at it and his response was, yeah, I'm glad you took that screenshot because now I can see I didn't do anything wrong. You know, so it was really all of that playing detective, all of that hell of, of constantly looking constantly checking my phone is he who's he talking to now who's he texting now making sure i have it open so that if when it happens i can get that screenshot and i mean it was it was madness i was losing my mind always knowing that i really hated him for what he was doing to me so why was i why was i putting myself through this you know why was i staying why did i need that proof not even the proof. I had the proof myself. Why did I need to show him the proof before I left? So, you know, it it really came back to staying is better than being alone. And I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, we feel that way, that it's being with somebody is better than being alone. And I think that's something that we really have to take a deep, deep look in the mirror with ourselves and have a deep conversation with ourselves about why are we so scared of being alone? I understand it on on an easy level. You know, it's always nice to have a partner, but why is it so important to the point we're willing to be abused over? What was the answer for you? Well, I think there's more answers. I I mean, there's different answers. Um, One is just, you know, obviously the basic. It's nice to have a partner. Um, You know, I'm I'm, I'm in my mid-50s and thinking about moving ahead. And just from a practical stance, it's scary to think of being an older woman and not having somebody around to help with things. but I've always loved being in a relationship. I, I've always wanted a good companion. That, that's that's really all I've ever wanted since I was a kid was a family. Um, that's been the most important thing in my life. I've always wanted just a good family, somebody, some you know, people I could call home, people I could trust. And unfortunately, in my life, in the situations I've ended up in, that's I just haven't really gotten that. Um, so when we discuss programming here and your programming from early on in your life, where you think a relationship is the place that you can gain trust or get the trust that you need, does that trust need to come from a relationship person or can it come from other people and places? And as far as self-discovery and programming goes, is that acceptable to change your programming from not wanting or not needing someone to be in a relationship with as long as I have all these other parts of my life that trust is created? Well, yeah. And, and, and one of the things my therapist, she was talking along those same lines as well and saying that, you know, you can 
you you have to you have to get out in the world. You know, we're we're so isolated when we come out of these relationships that um I mean for a year I I just I was in my house healing. <laughs> I, you know, I had to work. I, when I worked, I went out. I, you know, it was like I, I switched the switch. I went out in the world, did my work, came home. I was in healing mode for a year. Um, but feeling still, still isolated. Um, I didn't want to go talk to anybody else about this. I was embarrassed. I didn't think people would understand. Um, so she was trying to get me to, to understand how important it is to, to have different relationships in your life because if you're not in a romantic relationship you still have connection you still have human connection with people and when you start really trying to add that to your life and really trying to build those relationships it doesn't happen overnight but it can happen if you make the effort and it's just a little more assurance i guess you know that that people are looking out for you that you're not it's not like you're just going to sit at home and die and nobody's going to care um <laughs> if other people are like me i can think very morbid thoughts um you know and it's it that that's obviously not helpful to think like that but it does take an effort and that's another thing that we are responsible for doing that's our another part that we have to step up to, up to the plate and do for ourselves, make those connections. So um, one thing too that that I've been kind of studying, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of aspects to life, even for normal, healthy people that, that are hard. And for people like us that get in these situations that are being abused, that are being mistreated, I, those those normal parts of life that a lot of people experience just compounded, make it so much more difficult. Um, I started researching about uh, how to calm your mind, and um, I forget I forget where I heard it, but there's um there's a couple really popular books about this. Uh, one one book, The Untethered Soul. I had heard about, and I started listening to that book on tape and thinking of our thoughts. We, we tend to think of, we, we tend to allow our thoughts to happen and just accept them. But if anybody's ever like woken up in the middle of the night <laughs> and thought about the racing thoughts that are going through your head and how ridiculous some of them are, and you really start breaking it down. I mean, I, I can go from thinking about having a conversation with somebody out in the world that I'm having an argument with that, and I'll have this whole argument in my head, even though it's not even like based on anything real or, and then, then my thought will go to thinking about like some random thing of like monkeys. <laughs> and then my thought will go to like something else really random. Um, but when I really started, learning about this it helped that also helped me to realize okay all of this insanity that I was going through in the abuse was just made worse by something like that because I was I was allowing my thoughts 
to rule me, to rule me. Um, I was allowing everything to get out of control. I was allowing my, my body responses to get out of control. I was allowing my thoughts to get out of control. Um, again, I had no tools at the time, so I'm not blaming myself, but I think it's helpful. There's so much information now for us in so many different aspects of healing that we should look at and, and treat ourselves with kindness and compassion and look at it like science. You know, that was another thing that helped me as I was recovering. I, I really started looking at this from a scientific stance of what was going on with me um, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and it all made sense. It all made perfect sense. Everything lined up to make sense for the mess that I had become. This person that was hardly able to function and get out of bed after I left this trauma. And again, you know, it, it makes no sense because it was like, okay, you escaped, you escaped the bad person, but here you are feeling like you're going to die. It made no sense. <laughs> but you learn, then you learn about trauma bonds and then you understand, okay. So you just talk yourself through it and you try to survive it. And, and, uh, but it takes time. You know, earlier when we were talking in this conversation, I was watching you because I have the video on here and there was this kind of frenetic, I'm going to say the word energy in a little bit of one of the spots. And it started to make me think about what you were talking about a little more in the sense of energy and, you know, all of this energy that you're expending through these thought processes and that energy that is going into nowhere it's going it's not being released properly it's kind of swirling around you and it's a lot of wasted energy and is depleting you completely making your situation even worse because now the other person's wearing you down but now you're wearing yourself down and especially in the aftermath as well, you can get through those processes where, as you said, you had a conversation in your head about something that you might have been upset about with someone that never even happened. And you're expending this energy in a way that's not needed. And in my past, I remember my therapist one time saying, you know, you know, you'll only take us this uh, five minutes of the day to think of this bad thing and then go on the rest of your day. It's easier said than done yeah. to do that. But the amount of energy that we waste on these things that in a lot of cases um, could be a circular conversation we're having with ourselves, a ruminating conversation, you know, where we're, we're twisting our wheels in, in a lot of cases or turning our wheels in a lot of cases and it's not getting us anywhere and it's just depleting us and going back to our programming, you know, if we were able to have the programming that we always wanted, you know, we could get out of situations also quicker um, without turning our wheels as well and expending energy uh, at the same time. 
Um, I have no idea where I was going with that at all. (laughs) (laughs) But I was just something I kind of noticed or picked up that was kind of going on a little bit with you because you could, I could see the energy when you were talking about that. I could see you kind of get there in your head of like remembering that of your past. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, look, we all have our own personality types and I mean, I'm an overthinker <laughs> times 20. Um, but Hey, it can, it can do me good in some aspects of my life and they can do me bad in other aspects of my life. But, um, you know, it's interesting. Why do we do that? Why, why do we do that? Why do we sit there ruminating about things? Um, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's not beneficial to us. So why do we do it? I don't know. I don't have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to the therapy aspect of things now, earlier, we mentioned that there's a little Sharon and you're big Sharon. So when you finally dove into a lot of dealing with your reprogramming, uh, I think you wrote to me that you did inner child work. Was this a big part of how you dove into it? We've There's many different ways to kind of dive into this, but for you, this was, was the way that um, you started to go about your uh, reprogramming of, you know, the intergenerational trauma that that had gone on in the trauma CPTSD PTSD that you're dealing with. Yeah, um, it was tough because when I got this therapist, it was right after I left the um, my last relationship, and we realized that what I had just gone through was allowed because of my childhood trauma. So she, I mean, she was great. I, I've had so many bad therapists in my life. This lady was a godsend. I mean, she was great. And I just, I don't know how I would have survived this without her. Um, she was very cautious with me and, and kept asking me, are you sure you want to do this now as you're recovering from this breakup? And it, I, I, I knew, I knew in my heart it was all related. So I, I said, yeah, I, I have to. And and we would go back and forth between what I was dealing with, with missing him, being angry at him, you know, whatever feelings I had about him. Um, and then redirecting me back to that inner child. Um, I mean, I had pictures up in my house. Uh, I had all kinds of things that I wrote that I put on the mirrors, things that I wrote. Um, she wanted me to put pictures up of myself when I was a, a kid. And I had, I talked about this a little bit in, in the first episode I did with you, where I had two pictures that I put up one when I was, I think about six years old and one when I was eight. So it was pre-abuse. And then um, after the abuse started, because I looked at myself differently, um, the, post-abuse the eight-year-old me sometimes I just couldn't even look at and so um there was a lot of going back um writing timelines for myself and understanding the different things that were going on 
at those different times, understanding how they impact me, how they shaped me, I could clearly see. Now you can know it on you can know it on an obvious level. If you're in an abusive relationship and you've had trauma in your past, that's why you're staying in an abusive relationship. I mean, it makes sense. You know, it's easy to say, but when you really have to recover from it and you really have to do the work, um, it's, you know, it, it's so deep. It's, there's so, it's, it's more than an onion. It's more than unpeeling the layers of an onion. It's like, you know, looking through a microscope at, at things and, and going through layers like that. It's so deep how you have to get and um, you have to, you just have to do the work. You have to look yourself in, in the mirror, make connection with your eyes. It's funny because I used to do this. I did this up until probably I was in my mid-20s, where almost every day when I would look in the mirror, I would make a connection, look myself in the eyes. I would make a connection with myself. And even though I was screwed up then and I was making a lot of mistakes then, I, I had that connection with myself and I had lost that so much in this past couple relationships that I was, I, I couldn't even tell you when the last time I looked in my eyes was, um, I was avoiding myself so deeply. I, I, because it's like, it's like I was talking about where I was felt like I was having an out of body experience for most of, of my life that or in that relationship where I was on the outside watching myself, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't face the truth. I didn't want to face the truth. I knew the truth. I didn't want to face the truth. Um, so it took a lot of that. It took a lot of just the, the getting into the nitty gritty of why is it so, why am I so desperate to, to feel safe? Why am I so desperate to have that unconditional love? I knew why, but how can I move forward from that? Um, How can I find that for myself? How can I understand and, and me, just me and myself taking responsibility for little Sharon and that should be enough. I'm an adult now. I can take care of her. I certainly know her needs. I know her concerns. I know her fears. I know every need she has, and I'm a mother. I I have two children, so I have that parental understanding. I I know how to take care of her, and that was something that I had to learn to to take on instead of expecting somebody else to do it for me. And what's the most favorite thing you've discovered about yourself throughout this process? Oh. I think I'm going <laughs> uh, to try not to cry. I think I'm a pretty cool person. Um, I've always just been like, I guess, a good hearted person. And I've always really tried to do the best that I could. Um, and Sometimes I go too far with that and, and that can hurt me. And, um, you know, like I said, some of the good qualities for us can, can become bad. But uh, it's been a real true blessing to be able to 
find, make that connection with little Sharon. And I guess my main point of wanting to do this second, this uh, second session with you was I didn't, I don't want our stories. I don't want our stories to end with the narcissistic abuse for any of us. Our stories are so much bigger than that. You know, that's just a small section of our life. Even if we were with them for many, many years, that's not who we are. That's something that happened to us. That's that's an experience we had. But as we tell our stories, as we think about what we went through, I just I I implore the other listeners to focus on yourself as well and and learn. Let this bad experience in your life be let something good come out of that. Let let that help you connect better with yourself so that something good can come out of that bad. Well, cool Sharon. You're the coolest Sharon I know. <laughs> and I really can't thank you enough for for being here and getting a hold of me to to do this again. I loved having this conversation with you. Uh, I really hope everyone hears what you have to say today. I think it's very important, and I think you changed a lot of people's lives again today. So I really can't thank you enough for being here with me today. Thank you, and again, thank you for what you do because it's it's truly life saving. Well, thank you once again, Sharon, for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Sharon was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. Also at our website, we have a support group. So if you want to join our support group, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. Inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And it is a wonderful group of people on there. And you can share your experiences with everyone and make friends too. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. At domesticshelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in. Domesticshelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. Org. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers. And Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of coercive control transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they are looking to expand into the United States. And what they do is to help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of coercive control, help you to safety, get all of your things out of your home into storage, all of your belongings into storage. And they can do this for your your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please do go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's episode. I hope you found it useful. So for myself and Sharon, we hope you have a good night.